Welcome to our 10 o'clock service. Um, if you're out in the foyer and are planning to join us, then please do come in. Um, 
Peter has a notice or two. Good morning, everybody, from me. A uh, couple of notices from me. Um, some of you have been asking about how Ian Taylor is doing. Ian is in hospital in Liverpool, and um, I've I messaged him yesterday to ask if he would give us an update on his health condition and uh, how he is doing, and he kindly messaged me back via WhatsApp. So um, I'm going to read out the message pretty much as it is, and um, for you to pray for him more effectively. So he says, this is addressed to everybody. First of all, thank you so much for your prayers. It has been a, a long and difficult time over these last few months. And um, I will be having, he says, I will be having a specialist nucleus scan on Tuesday. So this coming Tuesday, which is to confirm the illness I have. The consultant is 100% certain this is Lewy body dementia. Uh, this is the confirmation required to obtain the dual funding from the NHS and Shropshire Council to place me in a residential nursing home, hopefully, if not in Shrewsbury, then nearby. It will be life-changing for myself and my wife, Annette, as I will not be able to go home and I will have to have an electric wheelchair, etc., not be able to stand or walk. There's a lot to think about and consider. He says, please, please pray for peace as, he says, I'm constantly dealing with hallucinations, night and day terrors, and numerous health issues. Thank you so much to all who have kept in touch via cards and WhatsApp and email. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray for Ian, shall we? <clears throat> Father, we lift Ian to you right now where he is in hospital. Father, he's going through it. And Lord, we, we know you're with him. We know you're present with him right there in the ward where he is. You know what's going on in his body. And Lord, we believe you are the great healer. So Lord, we pray healing for Ian. We pray for peace for Ian. We pray for wisdom for the consultant and his team. And we thank you for all who are working for the NHS. Lord, we pray for Ian and Annette. We pray that you would uh, fill them with your peace and fill them with your love. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> a couple of other things. Um, new church directories were available. Uh, they are now, they're all gone. So I'll ask Sarah to, to provide some more church directories um, from next week. Um, the worship band is keen to encourage more singers and instrumentalists to get involved and so John Farrow and Sue Heinsen are running a workshop on Saturday coming, <clears throat> excuse me, the 10th of February, starting at 10 a.m., ending with a bring and share lunch at 12.30. And uh, they'd love to see new and existing members to come along and, um, you know, get involved. So please do have a word, John or Sue. I don't think Sue's here today, but do get in touch with them if you'd like to. Uh, may I encourage you really to go, even if you're thinking about it, just to go along. And, and join in. Libby has a notice as well to give.
Good morning. Um, yesterday we met for MAG prayers and we had uh, two things to tell you. The first one is Martin and Sue, Susie have arrived safely, uh, but Susie isn't so well. She's got a, a virus, viral infection in her throat. So would we pray for healing? And the um, program starts tomorrow. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we heard from Rachel Carrick and she is celebrating this next week on the 6th of February, 30 years in Nepal. She went for three and ended up staying for 30. And so she said, would we give thanks for the fact she's been able to work, she said, in this beautiful country for 30 years. So we need to be praying for her as well and giving thanks. And as a result of that, we've left uh, a card at the back of the church because we thought it would be nice. She will be getting it later, but uh, nevertheless, it'll be nice to know that we have acknowledged her being there for 30 years and to say that we will continue to support and pray for her for the rest of the time she's there. So let's pray together now. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the safe arrival of Martin and Susie. And we pray, Father, for them as they settle down before they start their work tomorrow. And we pray, Lord, that you'd put your healing hand on Susie's throat, that sweet sleep would come at night, and that they would be able to fulfill the calling that you've got on their lives. And we do thank you and praise you indeed for Rachel, who has loyally worked for you in Nepal. And we ask that you continue to give her all the gifting she needs to do that job well. Father, thank you for her. And we pray your protection and your guiding and leading over decisions she has to be making in the next few weeks and months. Lord, bless her abundantly this week as she celebrates the fact she's done 30 years in Nepal. In Jesus' name, amen. So please remember to sign the, the card before you go home this morning. And if there's anyone who would like to come and join us to pray for the people we've sent out from here or people that um, the church support but are not members of our local congregation, you would be very, very welcome and have a word with either me or John. Thank you. Thank you, Libby. And I've just noticed that Sue is here. <laughs> so either John, who's leading the music today, or Sue, who will give us a wave. Thank you, Sue. Have a word with them if you want to join the um, worship on Saturday week? Next Saturday. Yeah, next Saturday, next Saturday. 10 o'clock. Or failing that, just turn up. Or just turn up, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's pray together before we have our first song. So, Father, we thank you that you have called us to be here together this morning as your people in this place. Lord, we ask for your blessing on Peter as he speaks to us, for John as he plays music, and we pray most of all that we will hear from you this morning and that our hearts will be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's jo join together in our first song, uh, our first couple of songs. Here I am to worship, and Lord, I lift your name. <laughs> <laughs> 
Light of the world, you stepped down into darkness, opened my eyes, let me see. Beauty that made this heart adore you, hope of a life spent with you. So here I am to worship Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. And you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came to the earth, you created, all full of sake became poor. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, and you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. And I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. And I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. So here I am to worship Here I am to bow down, here I am to say that you're my God, and you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. So here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, Here I am to say that you're my God, and you're altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you came my life. 
so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My death came from the cross to the same, from the grave to the sun, from the grave to the children go we're going to share a confession together um, the words are on the screen and there are some actions to do as well and we are using our hands as we say these words so God you created our hands beautiful and capable but too often we use them to grab what we want. We ball them up into fists to hit. We use them to hug only ourselves. We hide them behind our backs, pretending there is nothing we could do to help when we know we can. So we turn our hands up to you, asking for forgiveness. Forgive all the bad we have done. Wash our hands and make them clean. Teach us to open our hands to share with others. Give us the power to shake hands with our neighbours. Show us how to join hands with each other to build your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So please be seated and we'll pray for the children and young people as they go up. So Father, we ask that you will bless the younger members of our congregation. Father, that you will bless the words that the group leaders bring and that they might grow up into being members, active members of your kingdom trusting and believing in Jesus Christ. Amen. And as the children go to their groups, we're going to sing um, Great is Your Faithfulness, but it's what, not the one that probably comes to mind as I said those words. It's unchanging. John will lead us.
you'll find you do actually know this. But let's stand and say, let's celebrate God's faithfulness.
invited. And I'm just looking to see if the person I thought was going to do the reading is here. I don't think so. Has anyone come to prepared to do the reading? No. Would somebody like to do the reading? <laughs> Bless you, Cheryl. Thank you. <laughs> um, so it's 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 15. So I'll let uh, Cheryl do the reading and then um, after you've heard the reading you'll realise why I feel we ought to pray for Peter as he brings <laughs> God's word to us. <laughs> So it's 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 15, I'm sorry. Um, page 1191 in your church Bibles. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or dispute. I also want the women to dress modestly, modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Cheryl's just said to me, that's a hard reading, and I quite agree with her. And um, Peter is going to come and help us make some sense of it. So let's pray for Peter. Peter, th um, Lord, we thank you for the time that Peter spent this week grappling with this passage. And we pray for him now that we will hear you speak through his words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Esther, <clears throat> for praying and for your prayers. I have struggled with this reading this week, not surprisingly. Um, we'll pray again in a minute. Um, so we are continuing our look at uh, this letter to Timothy, so Paul is the writer of the letter. He's writing to uh, the young Christian leader Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and he's left Timothy behind to lead the church in Ephesus while he goes on his travels into Macedonia. So we have looked at, so far, we've looked at chapter one, where Paul's concern is to, uh, for Timothy to refute wrong, wrong doctrine, uh, bad teaching. He's, he's asking Timothy to... to uh, refute bad teaching and to do his best to teach the church and to lead the church well. Then last week we looked at the first seven verses of chapter 2 where Paul's uh, concern again is that the church prays for all in authority, to pray for all leaders everywhere. 
that all may come to a saving relationship with Christ? Who is the mediator between humanity and God? So far, so relatively straightforward. And then we reach these verses. And I don't know about you, but I gulped when I first read, read them. In fact, I gulped every time I read them. And uh, Debbie said to me, did you read these verses when you chose to preach on 1 Timothy? <laughs> um, she's bringing me a cup of water, which is... <laughs> thank you, Debbie. Um, well, thank you, I'll just get the water. I might need it. Well, maybe I should have thought twice about looking at this, but here we are. But there's no doubt about it. These are hotly debated, controversial verses uh, in the Bible, and they have been endlessly argued over by commentators and scholars over the years. So we are entering difficult territory. So let's just pray again. Uh, let's just pray, but let's pray again. Father, we pray your wisdom on us as we read this word together. We pray your wisdom as we hear what you are saying to us. We pray that you give us uh, ears to hear and understanding from you to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we saw last week, Paul has turned his attention to the public worship of the church. The church as they meet together, as we are doing this morning, to worship God. As in, as in Paul's day, as in Timothy's day, whether we like it or not, people around and about us are, as it were, watching us as we worship. We may not think about it, we may not even realise it, but that is what is happening. People are watching us, as it were, how we conduct ourselves as we worship God. And the way we worship God can either draw people closer to God, or it can sometimes uh, lead them further away from God. And that's so, it's really that significant. Our worship of God really is that significant. So Paul has some guidelines here he wants us to follow, but we've got work to do to interpret what they mean in our context in the 21st century today. And so the big topic Paul addresses here is how men and women conduct themselves in public worship. I'm going to read the passage again to get it fresh in our minds. Paul says, Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. There's no doubt about it, is it, that, that we are living in a, in a time where gender roles are under huge debate. And I'm not going to go into that, uh, you, you'll know about that from your own experience of, of society, culture we're living in today. Such that, for those who would not call themselves a Christian, who don't go to church, if they were to read this passage of scripture, they would probably throw their hands up in horror and say the church is way out of date, let alone incredibly prejudiced against the role of women. So that is why, as we consider this passage, we need to keep two things in mind at the same time. 
The first of which is that for the Christian, uh, my belief is that all our authority, indeed our sole authority, matters of faith and practice, is the authoritative word of God. We do not, we dare not, take our cues from culture. We must take our direction from the word of God, from the Bible. But that is where we need to bear in mind the second thing, and, we, and it runs in tandem. Yes, the Bible is our ultimate source of guidance for how we are to live out our faith, but we still face difficulties. And so today's text, as we've read it, in places is far from easy to interpret. Moreover, one of the challenges in interpreting scripture is determining what has cultural application to the time in which it was written, and what has universal application to all people at all times. So that's the kind of work that you've got to do when you read a passage like this, is to work out what is cultural, what is universal. So as we approach this text, we approach it in humility, and yes, also with confidence, because God's word is always a sure guide for our lives. So in the passage, Paul speaks separately to men and women. And the instructions to both are about public or our outward worship, but it's also about what's going on inside of us as we worship God. So, it's a very straightforward outline I'm going to use. We're going to look firstly at the appropriate behaviour of men in public worship, which is verse 8. And then we'll look at the appropriate behaviour of women in public worship, which is found in verses 9 to 15. So, men. Appropriate behaviour of men in public worship. About how he asks for men in public worship, he says, Therefore, in verse 8, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So, his first instruction is to pray for men to pray. This is what he's been saying in the first few verses of the chapter. He says, To all to pray, uh, that is a priority. Our priority in worship is for prayer. Straightforward, isn't it? Um, but why does he address the men separately at this point? Well, I think probably the reason he addresses men separately is if you, um, um, you'll know this, that the first century church essentially was like the synagogue worship. They were, they were Jewish believers who were becoming Christians, had become Christians, but the synagogue life was the way they knew how to worship. And in synagogues, in those days particularly, the men worshipped separately from the women. And so therefore, it was the usual practice, the normal practice, in fact, it was the only practice for the men to pray in the synagogue. So therefore, it's not that surprising, particularly when you think about the context, that Paul is, is addressing the men, particularly when it comes to public praying, public prayer in worship. So it makes sense he's talking directly to the men. But notice what he says. He says that prayer should be offered by lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing or quarrelling. So he's focusing on men's attitude in prayer, or our attitude in prayer. And in those days, again, it was, it was the common practice for Jewish believers to stand and raise their hands in prayer. That's what they would do. It's normal practice to pray with your hands raised, your palms fed up with, as it were, to heaven, to indicate offering of ourselves or demonstrate to God in his service. But then he sits, there's, there's two principles he then sets down for acceptable prayer. 
Firstly, he says, acceptable prayer comes from purified hearts. So when he says lifting up holy hands, he's saying that is, as it were, when you pray lifting up holy hands, that's praying with a purified heart, with a clean or cleansed heart. Do you remember Psalm 24? Psalm 24, there, there it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? You probably know the response to that question. Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who do not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. So Paul is saying that lifting up holy hands is, is an indication or symbolizing or showing we have been purified from our sins. We have a pure heart as we praise God because of what God has done for us. And he's, say, he's saying there's no point in lifting up hands if they are defiled or ruined by sin. It's not the posture of prayer. It's not talking about, it's not how we pray. It's not the posture of prayer it's talking about. We, we can sit, we can kneel, we can stand, we can lie down in our praying. It doesn't really matter. What he's saying is it's in our heart that's important. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So that leads to his next principle, that acceptable prayer must come from right relationship. Okay? Acceptable prayer must come from right relationship. So he says to the men, prayer needs to be offered without anger or quarrelling. So it's possible that uh, the church in Ephesus, there, there's basically anger, there's a uh, a dis, a sort of disputing going on amongst the men in the church in Ephesus. That's probably why he says it. We have to deduce these things, but essentially there probably is a, an argumentative thing going on in the church there in Ephesus. And so Paul says to the men, acceptable prayer comes from those who are right in right relationship with other people. It is, you can pray to God when you're angry with somebody else, but actually that's not what God wants. He wants us to pray when we are in the right relationship with other people. So if something's gone wrong with your brother or sister, Jesus says, doesn't he, sort it out. Go and say sorry. Get right with your brother or sister and then come and offer your worship. So that's what Paul is saying. It's if, if you're not in the right relationship, get right with each other as you come to worship, to pray. Now, I would argue that, yes, Paul addresses the men specifically, but I would, I would say that that applies to women, of course, as well. But for, for both men and women, it is right that we offer, offer ourselves to God every time we pray. We want to live for him. We want to serve him. We want to be used by him in his service. We don't all need to become charismatics. And, and you can, obviously, you can do that. Of course you can. God loves it when we pray and we worship like that. But he's not calling us necessarily to become, uh, in that sense, expressive. What he wants is for us to pray with purified heart and in right relationship with others. That's what is important. That's what Paul is saying. Okay, so let's look at appropriate behaviour of women in public worship. So far, so good. Quite straightforward. This is when we reach the difficult stuff. 
Let me acknowledge a no-hold-barred sort of way that this language he uses here is very difficult and some might even say it's offensive. I fully acknowledge that. And yet this is scripture and we are called to grapple with what scripture says. And so this is the second and longest set of instructions Paul gives and this time it's to the women specifically in church. You're probably thinking, like I thought as I, as I looked at this and, and, and pondered, hang on, why does Paul have so little to say to the men and so much to say to the women? There is a good explanation. Uh, scholars and commentators, of whom I've read quite a lot uh, in the last few days, suggest that there was a particular issue in Ephesus connected with the temple of Diana, which meant that women were causing problems to the orderliness of worship and bringing the gospel into disrepute. I'll go into a little bit more detail on that in a moment. So just bear that in mind in a general sense. That's the background to what's going on. So he gives some instructions to how the women are called to behave. And again, as we look at these verses, we, we, we must keep in mind the tension between Scripture as timelessly true and yet what is contextual. What is written for the day. First, Paul addresses issues of modesty and decency. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So as I look out today, I'm doing a mental count of who is going against that instruction. Joking. Joking. John Stott, um, his commentary, let me suggest to you, is, is a very good commentary on this passage. And John Stott says this, on this particular part of the reading, he says the skeleton of the sentence is... I want women to adorn themselves. Okay, so that's, the, that's what we're hanging this on. I want women to adorn themselves. So the question is how? How are women to adorn themselves? We tend to hear the negative rather than the positive in what Paul is saying. There are positives. The first is adorn yourselves or dress with modesty and decency. If I've read it right, he's saying... It's fine to dress well, not a problem, but there's no need to dress in a flashy or suggestive way. There's no suggestion, there's no inclination, there's nothing in this reading, I would say, that's hinting that women shouldn't take care of their appearance. There's no suggestion of that at all. In fact, the opposite could be read into it. They should take care of their appearance, but it needs to be in an appropriate way. In other words, no Lady Gaga outfits. But then he says, they shouldn't braid their hair or wear gold pearls or expensive clothes. Now, all the commentators I've read here agree that this is contextual for the time. Basically, as I said, there's what's going on in, in Ephesus. There's this huge temple to the goddess, the, the pagan goddess Diana, sometimes called Artemis um, or, or Diana, and it's, essentially, it's a big brothel. Okay, I, can't, I cannot mince my words here. It's a big brothel. It's lots of prostitutes. So Paul is saying to the Christian women of Ephesus, in effect, be aware of that and don't dress in a way that resembles the way the temple prostitutes were dressed. 
So again, the issue here is culturally appropriate behavior. If you want to draw people closer to God, nearer to God, then watch what you wear and how you wear it. So we come back to that idea again. Adorn yourselves. Adorn yourselves, says Paul, with good deeds and so attract others to Christ. Be known not for what you wear, but for looking out for other people. Be known for blessing other people. Be known for praying for other people. And so on. Be known as people of salt and light for Christ. <clears throat> then we reach the last few verses, 11 to 15. These are the most controversial of all and probably they are some of the most argued about in the Bible. I'll read them again. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. <clears throat> she must be quiet. For Adam was formed first and Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with propriety. Okay, how do we tackle that? Look at what he says. He begins by instructing the women to learn in quietness with full submission. Again, we've got to deduce certain things here. It's likely that these women were being anything but silent and they were learning not from the teachers of the gospel, not from the apostles, not from the elders, who, where authority had been given to these people, so they weren't learning from them, and they were in danger of committing Eve's mistake. What was Eve's mistake? Eve's mistake was to listen to the original false teacher in the Garden of Eden, the serpent, rather than asking Adam who had been given God's word about what to do and what not to do. In that case, what not to eat. So, what were they to do? So he instructs them to learn. If you learn, presumably you'll be able to teach. And in fact, that is what women are told to do in Paul's letter to Titus. So if you've got a spare half an hour later. It's fascinating if you read Titus in, a, in conjunction with 1 and 2 Timothy. They're called the pastoral letters, by the way. It gives you light on, on either side of what Paul is saying to Timothy. So in, in Titus, women are told to teach. But at this stage, at this point in time, there are only two sources of knowledge. You've got the teaching of the apostles. As entrusted to Timothy, the teaching of the apostles and the other elders on one side, and on the other side you've got the false teaching. Such as, if you look back to the end of chapter 1, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul talks about Hymenius and Alexander, who've been handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. So these two, Hymenius and Alexander, are examples, if you like, of false teachers. Paul is saying, don't listen to them. Listen to the true teaching, the true doctrine. So it's clear from the reading that Paul didn't want women to teach men. But then he also didn't want any men to be teaching men unless they had been authorised by himself or the other apostles. He also says he doesn't want women to take authority over men. 
Now, the Greek word here for authority is autenteo, autenteo, and it means to operate in your own authority. It's where we get the word authenticate. So if I authenticate something, it's where I say something is genuine. So there's a su- the suggestion that these women were setting themselves up as authorities in opposition to the elders as appointed by Paul. This is where we get to the crunch point. Does what Paul say about women not teaching men stand for all time, or was it just for his day? My view, my view, is that it is contextual for that day, and that it is perfectly acceptable for men to be taught by women in church. After all, Ursula is associate minister, and she regularly preaches and teaches here, and I often benefit from her wisdom and her learning, as I'm sure you do. And we have other excellent women preachers and leaders in our congregation. (coughs) But notice the reason Paul gives for his argument. Now this gets a little bit complicated. I'll try and guide you through it, but it's a little bit complicated. He refers back to the Genesis story, to the creation story. So if you remember the Genesis story, uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And here Paul talks about Eve being deceived. Yet if you read Romans 5, and Paul is talking again about the role of women and men in worship in church, in Romans 5, he says it was Adam who first sinned. And yet clearly if you read that passage in Romans 5, he's talking about not just Adam, but Adam and Eve who first sinned. And that is when sin entered the world. So clearly, if you read this alongside Romans 5, you've got to do some work here, Can't, there's no way around it. Clearly, Paul didn't believe that it was Eve who was all to blame for sin entering the world. No. In my view, I think what Paul is talking about is the fact that Adam was told by God not to eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and, of good and evil, but Eve wasn't. So that when she was tempted... She didn't have the full story. You've got to read Genesis 2 and 3 here to really get what I'm saying, but that's basically what it's saying. It's said in Genesis that she doesn't have the full story at the point that she is deceived by the serpent. So what she should have done was to go back to Adam and check whether what Satan had told her is true and then made up her mind, or better still, they should have made up their mind together. So how do we apply this to our life today in 21st century Britain? What are the culturally conditioned elements that we can dispense with and what what are the timelessly true principles we need to keep? One of the reasons Paul stopped women from taking authority in the church may have been that it would have been seen by those outside the church as upsetting the cultural status quo. But today, the opposite is the case. When the church today refuses to let able women exercise ministry, those outside the church see it as being totally unreasonable and unfair. So if the consideration is whether the gospel is promoted or not, the opposite conclusion seems to me to be the necessary. Well-taught, gifted women should be encouraged to use their gifts for the sake of the whole church and to glorify Jesus. 
That's one thing. Another principle that arises out of this reading is that for any of us who teach and preach in church, whether we're male or female, is that we do that as servants of Jesus with a servant heart. We teach so that the body of Christ may be built up, and we teach underneath the authority of God's word. Jesus came as a ransom for many. So pray for us as we preach. Pray for us preachers that we will draw people closer to Christ and not further away. This is servant ministry. But at the end of the day, my friends, this topic of male and female roles in church is something you need to think through for yourselves and make your own minds up on. And let me encourage you to have good discussions in your home group this week. I'll send out some questions. Finally, let's not, let's not miss out the final verse of the reading. There's a little bit of irony that Paul throws in at the end. He says, women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Again, it's a very curious verse, isn't it? Controversial verse. How are they to be saved through childbearing? Not by having children, as not all women bear children, clearly. I would say no, like men, women will be saved through the one event of childbearing that brought the Son of God into the world. So when Mary was chosen as the mother of the Christ child, that elevated all women and gave all women great dignity. It's only through the death of Jesus Christ that any of us are saved. So I think, again, this is, you know, you've got to make your own mind up here, but I think this is Paul's way of saying to us men, don't forget it was the faithfulness of a woman that allowed you to be saved in the first place. So as I come to a close, I'm going to read some verses from another of Paul's letters, this time to the Philippians which I think sums up well how we are called to worship our holy God as the body of Christ in humility and with servant hearts. Paul writes in Philippians 2, Have the same attitude as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So let's let's pray. Father, as we stand under your word, we proclaim you our Lord. We acknowledge you as Lord and Saviour. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is sure and steadfast. And yet, Lord, we also sometimes struggle with your word. Lord, help us to approach your word with humility. To understand what your word is saying to us. 
And Lord, to remember with gladness the grace that you pour out upon us, men and women, that you call us to serve you, to draw others closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Peter, I know I certainly learned from what Peter had to say. So thank you for all the effort and energy you put into preparing that. Uh, we're going to have a video um, with a song um, before we move on to a time of prayer. Thank you, Ian. You are 
we're going to continue in prayer. And I'm basing our prayer time on the Lord's Prayer. The first time through, I'm going to read each phrase and then lead a time of silence so that we can dwell with that phrase and what God is saying to us through it. And then we will read and say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. So let's say that prayer together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Now, before the children come and tell us what they've been up to in their groups, John is going to lead us in a song. Thank you, John. Let's stand, shall we?
that um, are the younger members of our congregation going to come up and tell us what they've been doing? Here they come. to shout. Oh, Liz, you'll have to shout or come up here and use this mic. You're coming up here. Yeah, use, use this mic. <laughs> Morning, everyone. We've um, been learning about how to be a good team member, team leader, um, and how we need to think of everybody in the team, not just ourselves, and include everybody in whatever their ability is. And we came up with these. So Father, thank you that um, these offerings represent our giving of ourselves to you. We recognise all you do in our lives and all that you give us. And Lord, we also recognise that all we have comes from you. And of your own do we give you. Amen. And to close our service of blessing. May you know the warmth of God's loving embrace. May you know the joy of God's ever presence. May you know the peace of God's gentle whisper. May you know the strength of God's Holy Spirit within you, this day and always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve our Lord. In the name of Christ.